At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout DC to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash grad school. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe and I'm joined today by Alex Stewart. Hello. And Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hi Joe. The three of us are in the room for the first time, I think the first time ever. Yeah. Anyway, that's not important. Today we're here to talk about uh, Chelsea um, and what a week it's been for them. Firstly, they uh, lost 4-0, and then they won 5-0. Hmm? It's almost like you can't predict what's going to happen in football, isn't it? Is that the right question? <laughs> it's, it's the first question <laughs> of the podcast. That's how we begin. Okay, well, listen, I think we should start by talking about the, the Bournemouth game. Alex and I re-watched parts of that this morning, um, and it couldn't have been more different... Could it? I mean, four, it was the biggest loss in a decade, I think I heard. Something like that, yeah. Alex, can you explain? I mean, Seb, you were also at the game, weren't you? Mm. I'm going to ask you in a moment. But Alex, can you explain to me what, what happened? Um, I think the first thing to say is that Bournemouth defended really, really well mm-hmm. um, and arranged themselves in a very compact two banks of four, which meant Chelsea found it very difficult to play through them. Uh, Brooks pressed Jorginho a lot um, and... He particularly seemed to cut quite a frustrated figure. There were a number of occasions where it was clear that he was either looking to receive the ball and it wasn't coming to him, or he was expecting players to make a run off him, uh, which they didn't do. Um, I also felt that it was noticeable that Hazard particularly, but also Pedro a lot, were cutting inside, um, and it ended up kind of clustering in the centre uh, a, a number of Chelsea players maybe seeking to encourage an overlap, but it also it congested those areas. And, mm. and a feature of uh, when Sarri has previously worked well at Napoli was that at least one of those players would stay very wide and, and create a, a switch option, try and drag the opposition the other way or make late runs in if they were unguarded. And that wasn't happening either. So it all just ended up being very sterile and quite dull. Mm. Well, as Seb, Alex and I watched it on the television... Um, and it seemed an awful lot to us like, you know, the first half, first half at least seemed like a game that Chelsea at some point were probably going to get a goal. It might finish 1-0. Was yeah. that how you felt being at the game? Was that the sense around the stadium? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I um, I agree with what Alex said in the sense that, yes, Chelsea in that first half, Chelsea dominated territory almost completely. I mean, I, I don't know what the, the, sort of the, the precise ratio was, but for a large part of it... Um, 21 players were in the Bournemouth half and then you'd get these sporadic breaks what I will say is even from the beginning Bournemouth would look dangerous on the counter-attack I think one of the um, the great developments in their football has been from you know, originally they, they were just a side who would not quite dominate possession but who enjoyed being in possession and, but who wouldn't necessarily do much with it they wouldn't move vertically with any great speed or conviction mm. and now I mean I, I have a fifth Bournemouth game I've been to this season and all of them have featured this not quite as spectacular as this example but all the, they, they all featured this um, this capacity to raid um, and a precision in those counter-attacks so counter-attacking is fine but you you have to counter-attack with economy so the idea for Bournemouth anyway at least is to advance with as few touches of the ball as possible because for a team that work under a significant um, talent disadvantage which they were against Chelsea, of course, and which they, they would do any time they faced a member of the top six. The idea is to, to, to make profit from numerical mismatches. Now, they did that very well. Chelsea, I mean, I, I, I'd, seen, I'd seen Chelsea a few weeks before against Newcastle, and they won that game, and they scored two very good goals. But it was, it was so uh, unconvincing, because all the same issues were, were present in their, in, in their performance that day, in the, the side-to-side football, the slow pace, the kind of reliance on playing the ball to Eden Hazard or Willian or something like that and for, for that player to create the space rather mm. than, you know, my my understanding of Sarri's work at Napoli was that the system creates the advantages, not an individual moment of player. The individual mo- the individual player is a complement to the system. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, they, they dominated possession. They, um, I think they ended up with about 68% of it. Um, but, Artaboric made, I think, probably two saves in the entire game. One very good one in the first half, but mm. 
I, I don't know where the goal ever felt inevitable, which yeah. is a really strange thing to say, and I know I've contradicted myself, but it's um, it was it was a, it was as peculiar a game as I I think I've been to in in years now. It was yeah, very very strange. Okay, I mean a lot of the discussion has been around Jorginho, the mm-hmm. player that Sarri brought with him from Napoli, yeah. who is discussed as the the key to to unlocking the style of Sarri ball at yeah. Chelsea. Um, People have been critical of him yeah. so far this season. There's been some suggestion that he hasn't adapted to the Premier League, that it's the it's the culture of play that's slightly different here. There's more pressing, it's harder, you know, not enough time to get passes off. Yeah. What was your impression of him watching him in the game against Bournemouth? The same as I thought all season. I, I think I think Jorginho is one of many issues. I don't I think some of what, what people say is true. I think there is a little bit of an adaption issue and there's an acclimatization going on. What I'd also say is if you watch Jorginho off the ball, so, you know, when the ball is sort of 20 yards ahead of him or, or um, you know, players in, an, in a different part of the pitch, you see him trying to organise what's around him. You mm. see him turning to particularly his fullbacks. So Emerson Palmieri, I, I think, has now been redropped, but he came into the seat and it, it almost looks as if Jorginho is having to um, to coach certain parts of that team through a game. Mm. Um the other issue, obviously, is the midfield ahead of him is not does not work as it should. Um, I like Angelo Kante. I think some of the issues he's had have been slightly overstated. For me, Kovacic is a is too passive to play in the role that he is. Mm. He's not a he's not a, a tip of a, a three type of player. Mm. He's not. He doesn't have the aggression. He doesn't when he has the ball, his his, his instinct is to recycle it and to move <clears> in field or out to a channel. You want someone that isn't afraid to lose it to actually cut lines. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I, I I think Jorginho has become a very um, convenient scapegoat. I think yeah. there are imperfections in this game. I don't think having watched him, I don't look at him as a player who is obviously struggling. I see him as a player that just um, lacks the conditions to succeed at the moment. Or at least, I'll put it this way, I don't believe the conditions exist at the moment to definitively judge him. Mm. I don't know whether he would play well were they in place because again, that's, that's, a, that's an assumption. What I will say is that Chelsea as an entity are not functioning as they should and that's the problem really. Alex, you said he looked frustrated in the Bournemouth game. Yeah, well I, I agree with what Seb's saying about the, the coaching aspect of things um, and I think this is what I meant by saying that, that these kind of hand gestures of, you know, you should be running there, why are you not giving Clear me the ball? Clear frustration. Massively. It's, it's not just, you know. And that's, I, I think if you compare how Napoli played and, and again I agree with Seb that, that the system is designed so that the players are subservient to that and you shouldn't have to rely on individual skill. And there's clearly a disjunct there where you have players like Hazard who are used to being the person who gets the ball and does a thing, mm. whether it's creating space or making a shot or whatever. And, and he is not playing the same role that Insigne was playing out wide. And I think it, it it's very easy to say, oh, well, you know, you can't just transplant a system from one set of players to another and and yet that is what Sarri has tried to do by and large mm. and they're lacking that dynamism and it's the same thing that we talked about when we were talking about Arsenal against Manchester United it's it's a kind of the, the possession is there some of the movement is there but it's not any of it happening quick enough mm. and Sarri ball to use the the phrase that people do <laughs> is about incision of movement yeah. it's about you know, when when possession is recycled, it's recycled deep because there isn't space and the run hasn't happened yet. And that's why occasionally you'd see, for Napoli, you'd see Koulibaly striding forwards to try and mm. disrupt that press. But for Chelsea, the, 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 the recycling of possession is happening much further up the pitch mm-hmm. because they aren't making the runs, they're not making the movement. And because, as I say, I think... That that inward movement of both Hazard and Pedro, particularly, is congesting that central space, and they're finding that they can't get these these quick overloads, pass and moves, to get into space uh, and then create an option. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about the uh, the Huddersfield game then, because obviously since midweek last week, Bournemouth suddenly they were brilliant. Suddenly they're brilliant. <laughs> it was and, all uh, fine. I guess the obvious question to ask is, I mean, is that Chelsea? Or is that Huddersfield? I mean, well, I think, I think, of the league. Yeah, just just as you have to say that one of the reasons 
that Chelsea lost against Bournemouth was because Bournemouth were really good mm. and they defended <coughs> superbly and exactly like Seb said, they, I would say they actually, broke brilliantly. That's almost probably... Uh, I would, it's I more of a reason. Exactly yeah. that, exactly. Yeah, and, and I think in this case, you know, this is one of the things that gets really uh, annoying about the, the narrative of discussing big six sides is that it becomes very easy to say what's going wrong at Chelsea or is Jorginho a shit player Mm -hmm. when actually what you should be saying is look at the job that Eddie Howe's done at Bournemouth how well that team were coached in that game how economical they were in their breaks how phenomenally good David Bricks was both offensively and also defensively yeah Um, Huddersfield are a woeful side at the moment they're a side in transition they've got a new manager in who's going to take a bit of time to adapt Mm -hmm. Um, and Chelsea did. I mean, did they do anything differently? Because one one of the they, criticisms sometimes, not always, but sometimes it's a criticism of Sarri is that he's tactically inflexible, uh, that he sticks dogmatically to his game plan. I mean, did he do the same thing in both games with a wildly different outcome? Did Chelsea do anything differently? To to my eye, not massively. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Higuain benefited from being around a little bit longer with the rest of those players and his link play was more impressive mm-hmm. he was were able to work quite well with Hazard <clears throat> and and you do sometimes wonder again you know these things are all very systematic it were part of the issues before that they weren't playing with a centre forward who quite got what was going on and did that cause players like Hazard and Pedro to feel like the onus was on them to come forward and, and create and do stuff I think Barkley mm-hmm is more of a natural fit on the left-hand side of that midfield three for what Sarri's trying to do than Kovacic is. Um, So there there was just a bit more impetus and a bit more speed of thought and execution. But they were playing against the worst side in the Premier League defensively. So, you know, again, it's very difficult to say anything definitive. Okay, well, last week, uh, Sarri... Criticizes players. Uh, I mean, quite strongly, and it's you know it's not a new thing for him for him to do. I think the English press are already used to it. Uh, he described the the squad as difficult to motivate, which I think to certain eyes is kind of putting it lightly. Uh, yeah. It's a criticism we've heard of of Chelsea fairly regularly over the fa- past few years. We saw the collapse under Jose Mourinho and then under Conte as well. Um, and I suppose you do have to ask questions about the squad. Worryingly, it looks like there's a potential uh, that uh, Chelsea are going to have a transfer ban for uh, possibly up to four windows, maybe as few as one if it's similar to Real Madrid, uh, which would mean that if they do stick with Sarri, um, they're going to have the squad that they have now. Do you foresee problems there, Seb? I mean, where do you fall down between uh, those two opposites? Is is Sarri not doing enough? I know these are very, you know, binary ways of looking at it. Is there a problem with the squad being motivated? I don't think anyone can answer the question about motivation other than the, the players themselves and, you know, Sarri's technical stuff. I think where I start with Chelsea is what do they do before they appointed Sarri? So it's not a secret that Roman Abramovich has coveted a uh, more attractive style of winning for as long as he's, he's been, um, uh, for as long as he's owned the club. But I, I look at other places where they've, they've imported an ideology. I mean, most likely, obviously, Manchester City. So... Pep Guardiola wasn't just transplanted in. There was five years of work which went into creating the conditions for him to succeed. The entire the club's in, oh, sorry, it's okay. Um, the club's entire superstructure was rebuilt to accommodate him. Um, and at Chelsea, I, I I don't see any evidence of that. I, I see everything continuing as it has done up until this point. So the transfer dynamic is exactly the same. The squad is relatively unchanged. Um, and yet you expect uh, one of the, the high priests of the game to transfer, uh, transform an entire, an entire club whilst only really being allowed to influence maybe 20-25% of it. Literally, his the demarcation line is the touchline, mm. and that's it. Um, so that worries me. I think the other thing is, um, I, when, we, when we talk about transfer bans, whenever, look, I, I think, sort of, I have to be cynical, whenever, whenever they... Um, Whenever they relate to powerful clubs in the sort of the UEFA sense, I think it's always safe to assume that they're getting suspended and halved. And so I, I don't know. We will have to wait and see if that happens. Mm. But that being said, look, I don't think that squad is is good enough. I don't think it's really a question of motivation. I'm not sure it's even 
necessarily is it not attitude though I mean that's the criticism it may be right? Joe but that, that would be speculation on my mm. part um, do speculate well no I, because it, it, it's <laughs> I feel that's quite a it's quite a a, a a banal criticism of Chelsea it's so easy like we mm. you know what, what's missed in the Mourinho and Conte's um, <laughs> examples is that Conte essentially sacked himself mm. Mourinho sabotaged himself and mm. Mourinho has been proven to be an extremely difficult man to work with so mm. I'm loath to criticise the Chelsea players for that but what I would say is of the Chelsea eleven who started either against Bournemouth or against Huddersfield, how many of those players are going to get into Manchester City side or Liverpool side or even Tottenham side? Hazard, almost certainly, of course. Maybe Azpilicueta on a good day. Possibly Jorginho, depending on the system around him, and maybe the goalkeeper. But is that is that a, an elite squad? I mean, forget forget what what Sarri is supposed to be doing with it. Is the level of quality really good enough to? To, to, to match the level of aspiration probably not mm. so you know I think there's a lot of questions I mean transfer ban is, is hugely problematic because you've got a lot, lot, lot to shift mm. a lot of deadwood to shift there but also Hazard remains really the only world class player in that, in, in, in that side why not you didn't mention Kante I mean is that because you don't <laughs> don't rate him as, as that highly uh, attuned I, I suppose... or is it because he, he, would, he wouldn't naturally fit into Guardiola's Truth side because be told, his... I forgot to mention him um, no 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 I, I, I think he's an excellent player I, what I would say though is that in his current incarnation if we're talking about Kante as a holding midfielder absolutely yeah. he gets into any of those sides <clears> definitely but then he's the, the problem is I would assume Alex that he doesn't doesn't possess the same forward-thinking passing ability that Fernandinho does. I mean, he wouldn't he wouldn't displace Fernandinho at Manchester City. But is is the problem that he's just not the right sort of player to play in in these incarnations of teams? I I think he probably could displace Fernandinho. I think he'd take time to settle. But I think I think one of the things with Kante is that that he is good enough to do a lot of these things mm. that that we see. You know, the, the issue with Again, the issue with Kante in the the Chelsea midfield is not that Kante is suddenly playing really poorly. It's that people feel like he's not being maximised because he's the best player in the world in a particular position. So why aren't you using him in that position? It doesn't mean he's doing what he's being asked to do badly. Far from it. Does this link into the lack of preparation that Chelsea made? You know know, know what's interesting, just before we move away from that, that's the point. That Kante thing... Against Bournemouth, it's very notable, notable that um, Eddie Howe quite deliberately said to his players, who'd had 10 days to prepare for the game, so they knew what to expect, and they'd, they'd, they'd obviously been drilled really, really hard. Kante was allowed the ball in certain situations. Mm. What Bournemouth clearly did was say, right, well, we're going to take away Hazard, we're going to take away Pedro, and we're going to take away Higuain. All we're going to do, though, is 25, 30 yards from goal. If you watch it back, I'm pretty sure you'll see him being allowed time on the ball and Bournemouth inviting him to play a pass that he just doesn't have which is you know, either um, a slide rule through the defence, a chip, things with finesse. Kante is a... I would never say that he is a, um, a destroyer because he's not. He's actually a, a very, very competent um, all-round midfielder. He just yeah. doesn't have the attacking skills to be a real threat in the final third. Beyond mm. that, he's fantastic. Mm. But it's, it's a sort of... It's a known weakness that Chelsea are allowing to be exploited. It's, it's a sort of, right, well... You know, Kante cannot hurt you in that situation. If you, I hope, before that game started, I um, against Bournemouth uh, at, at Dean Court. There's actually um, the uh, the visiting side always do their um, their shooting practice right on the touchline. So you're about 15, 20 yards away from it. It's, it, it, it's worth going just for that. I have to say. Mm. And so watching watching Chelsea going through their attacking drills, watching Ingolo Kante in those situations, it would be like watching me. It's it's quite it's quite startling how poor he is, mm. how bad his technique is in front of goal. Whereas you compare it to Higuain, Higuain's. I mean, it, I, I could have watched that all, all night. I think it was. It's just a, a fabulously pure ball striker, mm. amazing. Um, but Kante just has so little instinct. Is you know he could learn these things, but he doesn't have the uh, yeah the, the the feel for it, the instinct for it. I think it's fair. But then that role at Napoli. Yeah. which was done by Alain. Um, He's not that player either. No, no. And and the point is and you know in terms of in terms of Bournemouth being happy to give him possession in certain areas and yeah. so on that that all makes sense but I think I think the issue there is the balance of the midfield overall because what yeah. Kanté will do is give you industry closing down a spare option yeah. 
uh, keep the ball moving. Someone who is very comfortable receiving the ball will show for it again and yeah. again. And, and, that's, and that was what Alan did yeah. for that Napoli team. And if you're seeking to replicate that, which Sarri clearly <laughs> is to a degree, yeah. the, the missing part of that jigsaw is... The third the element in front of them. That, that's the thing because I think that. Um, well, I, I mean, I've always, I always saw Alan as a, a slightly better technical player. I do agree, but I mean, I think the problems in that midfield do start and end with 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 the third player. Yeah, because is it the Hampshire role? Yeah, this in, is the thing. In so far as they, in, if you looked at the Napoli sides that he coached, then mm-hmm. it, it's the one who plays on the left in a more attacking yeah. way. So yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to be a, a Hamsik clone. No. It just has to be a player that embodies many of this. It's almost attitude. Mm. It's almost a kind of why am I in the team and what is my role as a sort of as the 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 link point between the attacking three and the midfield. What what is my duty with the ball? Is it just to shovel it around? And I know it's a little bit of a you know a, a cliche, but almost to pass responsibility to someone else because that is really what Kovacic does. Barkley less so. There are a different set of issues which come with Roth Barkley. I think I think we all recognise that he's not going to be the player he was predicted to be five years ago. Mm. But that he, he represents something which is closer to the ideal, which is aggression. Mm. You know, the main criticism of Barkley has always been this sort of almost thoughtlessness and recklessness with the ball. Actually, that's what you need. A player that isn't afraid to put it in harm's way. A player that isn't, doesn't go through a game with one eye on his completion percentage. A Paul Pogba. Potentially, but not not in the role he plays for Manchester United. But like a, a player that that's definitely close to it. It's though. definitely close. It's almost a player that wants that he wants that burden. Mm. It's intangible, so it's very difficult to describe. But and that's an interest. That intangible is an interesting thing with Hamjik because Hamjik is Mister Napoli. Yeah, like he he's been at that club forever. He's I think their leading goal scorer yeah. now. Yeah, um, did he, he not just leave in January? Didn't he? No, he wants to. Oh, he wants yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Possibly because Sarri's gone as well, and, mm. but he was, you know, again with that with that Napoli side, everyone was like, "Oh, well, Jorginho's who makes it tick," mm. uh, and that's kind of true. But if <clears throat> if he's the you know the thing that makes it tick, Hamjik was the thing that gave it the energy, that gave it the dynamism. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, we were talking about this before yeah. we recorded the podcast. Uh, you were taking a look at players who. Might be similar to, to Marek Hamšík, uh, who could fit in for, Ooh, for Chelsea, for example. And I mean, the result was quite interesting, wasn't it? Because there were no obvious candidates. Now, it might be worthwhile explaining how you went around uh, doing this. Yeah, so we, we've got access to a few um, sort of scouting type tools that are quite helpful, um, and you can you can pull up a player and, and assess elements of. Um, what they do and and weight the importance of those things. Mm. Um, one of the interesting things to to look at Hamshik is that actually, from a kind of numbers point of view, performance wise, he's not dissimilar to Jorginho. Actually, a lot of what he does is quite similar, um, but he's doing it further up the pitch and yeah. he is doing it more aggressively. But I mean, you know, some of the names that that came up um, from this season, because you know, last season there there are other players as well, but um, Gundogan. David Alaba, oddly enough, um, who does, who, yeah, but he actually does, that doesn't surprise me. No, much. I mean he's kind of probably the best left back in the world now. He's almost if ever such a thing exists, it's left back with a free roll. Yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre. Did you uh, did you see the thing the other day about a a, a false fullback? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, no, I, I mean, for, I, mean I, I guess that's really what I'm saying. But I mean, I it's I, not, could, I I wouldn't describe it that way. I could sort of imagine what a false fullback ought. to to be, but I just don't see what you'd call it that. spent a bit too much time behind the laptop. Yeah, I think possibly way. so. Yeah. Um, Harry Winks uh, is up okay. there as well. Um, Ericsson, Pjanic. So, you know, this, this is looking at uh, measurable metrics. It's looking at how much you contribute to XG build-up, how much you contribute in terms of, um, you know, aggressive passes from a deep position, that kind of stuff. I think, uh, and Seb and I were talking about this before we started recording, the, the difficulty is that numbers will only take you so far in terms of player assessment. And what you then need to do is look at how they fit into what's going on, look at how they play, how they carry themselves, what else they bring, mm. uh, even to the intangibles of personality, which yeah. for Hamzik is really important. You know, he was the leader of that team, no question at all. Um, so it would be tricky to say that there is an obvious replacement for that kind of, you know, there are players who, like we talked about with Fernandinho, there are players who just seem to inhabit 
a role and a function and a set of uh, abilities mm-hmm. that are uniquely suited to a team in a given season. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be impossible to replicate. Yeah. And um, presumably often those are mental or psychological attributes as well that lend them towards those sorts of... Uh, or to, towards that sort of uniqueness. I think yeah. that's probably true. And you also, you know, Sari. Sari came in and did well f- pretty much from the off at Napoli, but I think, uh, and this is interesting in terms of any potential transfer ban, is that that wasn't a squad with a huge amount of churn in terms of players coming in. They, mm. they were players who benefited significantly from repeatedly being coached how to play the system. Um, so it is entirely plausible that if Sari is given time, that next season they'll be phenomenal yeah. in, in a way that, say, Conte in his second season once... Once Conte had made the shift to the three four three, it caught everybody on the hop. No one was used to doing it. It was great. He won. The next season, he basically played exactly the same way, by which time yeah. everyone's figured out what to do. I think with with Sarri Ball at its best, it's still really hard to stop, even if people know what's going to come. Okay. So those players may develop, they may grow into it, and and buying in isn't necessarily the answer. And said presumably he's going to be given more time. I mean... I know it's Chelsea and their manager turnover is uh, is fairly high, but it's what I mean. How many months since he took the job? Well, we um, oh, this came up in the press room after after the Bournemouth game, just as a jit of you know this is not the kind of I think it was Chelsea's worst result in the Premier League since '97. I want to say that might not be correct, but right. something like that. Mm-hmm. And I spoke to someone who covers the club, one of the club-specific guys working in the game, and he said, no, there's no appetite to dismiss him yeah. at the moment. Um, so you know, I'm not in a place to contradict that. I mean, well, he, he, this person knows better than I do. Well, let's talk about the, 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 the appetite, because it's it's we shouldn't ignore movements off the field as well. Yeah. I mean, there's there's the story that allegedly Roman Abramovich wants to sell Chelsea. Mm-hmm. We covered that on the, the TIFO Football YouTube oh, it's channel. a brilliant video by James Montague, that, yeah. Would you be able to sort of briefly recap for us uh, the situation with him? Yeah, well, I, I mean, first of all, I, I would direct people to the video because that's a, I mean, it's a, a very fine piece of work by James. Um, including rubber ducks. Including rubber ducks. <laughs> but it, I mean, it, it has, almost has its genesis in what did or did not happen in Salisbury last year, um, which is obviously still contested. Um, but the consequence of it is, is that Roman Abramovich is no longer allowed to work in this country. He's allowed to uh, stay in this country for, I think, six month period. Six months. Yeah. But he's he's had his. Um, there was a delay in um, renewing his investor visa, um, which when that occurred, he withdrew his application. Um, so he is now um, he is now uh, uh, an Israeli citizen, I think. Mm. Um, and as a result, I mean, there, there are other factors here. Look, Abramovich's personal situation is obviously um, hugely important, but they're unable to press forward with the, um, the ambition to, to build a new stadium, which over time will, will put Chelsea at a very significant disadvantage. I mean, at the time that was, uh, that was attributed to a, a poor investor climate. And uh, obviously, I, let's not go down a, a Brexit route on this podcast. <laughs> I don't think we need to do that. But uh, we, we all understand what that means. Um, and mm. so, by all accounts, yes, just Miss Anne, yeah, <laughs> yeah, very fair. Um, so, yeah, there there is a suggestion that um, Chelsea are up for sale. Um, it's being, by all accounts, according to James's video, I'll have that little disclaimer in there. Uh, the sale is uh, being handled by an American company, uh, and uh, he wants a, a cool three billion pounds mm. for, for for his ownership. Which James says would make it the most valuable or the most highly valued sports uh, organization of all time. It would. At, I mean, it's a slightly. That's the thing. Yeah. It's a slightly misleading. I mean, I, I wouldn't. You wouldn't say, for instance, that you know that sale because you know how often do the New York Yankees go up for sale, the Dallas Cowboys, Manchester United, that kind of stuff. So you know, I, 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 would, I would stay clear of that. But yes, obviously, a, a hugely valuable sports property. Mm. Okay, um, and I would assume that these sorts of. Uh, rumblings yeah. have a knock-on effect right I mean they do it's 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 inevitable in some ways I and mean, we, see, we see it with other clubs as well but to, to your understanding what involvement has, has Roman Abramovich really had over the, what, what degree of involvement I mean beyond picking the managers and then picking we, deciding when they go right we're we, we, we looking at it from a pure purely sporting perspective right? yeah yeah I mean like what 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 effect might this going on in the background have on 
the football club itself, the football side of it. I mean, it could be nothing. But Well, it, it's hard to say. I mean, a lot of Abramovich's day-to-day power has been devolved to Marina Granovskaya, who is his chief executive. Um, you know, Marina Granovskaya is a hugely capable woman who started as, as his... Um, as the as Abramovich's PA uh, for his gas company, nice. um, you know, before it was um, absorbed by Gazprom, um, she is uh, in charge of the day-to-day operations of the club. Um, she is in charge of transfer activity. Um, so I think the the question is less. That's the dream, isn't it? That's the, uh, that's well, this the... this is the thing because I mean, she she was actually um, she led the um, the the agreement with Nike for their uh, their kit sponsorship and yeah. stuff. So she she has done tremendous good at Chelsea. Yeah. I think the question of and I, I got to be careful how I phrase this because I when when you say someone's very very capable, that doesn't preclude you, preclude you from saying that are they really the best person to be leading a club's transfer strategy? This is sounding very Ed Woodward. Yeah, it, it, but it, it's the same question, Alex, because it's the difference between being a very capable business person. Oh, for sure. No, I'm, and, I'm, I'm, oh, no, that I, I'm, I mean, I'm gearing up for my, yeah, for my monologue. Um, <laughs> don't get in his way. I just, <laughs> I, I, just I, I don't trust business people to make transfer decisions. And this is not a proper football man argument. It is a, you need a specialist argument. And if you look at Chelsea's transfer activity... Um, over the last few seasons forgetting what funds are available because Chelsea are not Manchester City the world has changed they're not Paris Saint-Germain they are you know it, it's almost like the sort of the, the, the old Mike Ashley excuse I'm just a humble billionaire mm. which staggeringly is not actually enough in football anymore mm. just, to, just to be that wealthy um, I don't know I mean I, I to me there is a, a huge void at Chelsea between um, the manager and the chief executive, which should always be filled by a sporting director. Mm. Michael Manalo has gone to Monaco, has not been replaced. And so, mm. by all accounts, I mean, I, I don't know what Alex thinks about this. I mean, I, using the Christian Pulisic situation as an example, Pulisic is a good player. Uh, maybe one who gets a little more attention than he's due on account of the novelty of his nationality, in my opinion. Like he's, he's a very good player, but it's quite rare to have a player playing at that level who is also an American. That makes him more interesting. Do I think he is? Makes him more valuable. It certainly makes him more valuable. It certainly makes him an easier transfer to rationalise. I understand that completely. But I I remember hearing Sarri's reaction to that, saying, "Oh yeah, a month ago they asked me whether I like him, and I said yeah, he's great." And then the day before they told me the transfer had been completed, and that's also good news. And I thought, what what a strange situation because Mm. you have this guy with this incredibly specific way of playing the game, and someone who is really the only person best place to advise as to what he needs mm. to enact that strategy. Who, have you, who you've welcomed in and you've said welcomed you're in looking and forward to him you're, implementing it, it, his style. Exactly that. You want what he represents. And yet, this isn't a 10 million... This isn't a player who is there to um, to feather the financial fair play nest. He's not going out on loan for nine seasons to, mm. to uh, gradually appreciate and then be sold. Here's a guy who is coming in to play on the side. And I'm not saying we should return to days of managerial autonomy of a transfer strategy, redknapism, for want of a better expression, sure. where it's, a, oh, I fancy that guy, I like him. There'd you know, be demons. He can play, right, because that's an outmoded, the game is too valuable, transfers are cost too much, you can't have that mm. anymore. But for Sarri not to be more involved in that process, for him not to, I don't know, go and spend some time with Christian Pulisic, go and, go and get to know his... His his intellectual attributes as mm. well, because a lot of this is going to a lot of his success. If Sarah is still there next year, a lot of it's going to um, going to depend on how well um, Pulisic assimilates himself to the to these demands. I mean, mm. the red flag, of course, is that at Dortmund he he has suffered injury this season, but Jaden Sancho has already trusted more than him. He is he is has surpassed him in the in the little hierarchy there. Um, so I, I just find that very strange, and in, mm. until. What Abramovich's role is, I don't know. But in this deferral of power, you've created a situation where maybe uh, the, the club is, is running itself on two different fronts. Sarri is being tasked to build a football team. Um, Marina Granovskaya is being tasked with building a, uh, a financially viable enterprise, which she is doing fantastically well, by all accounts. But it's not the same thing. And I, I have a difficult time with that. Um, I mean, I, I, there's always room for, for things to be done differently in football. I accept that. But the model of, um, of uh, fostering ideology within your, within your own club seems to, be, seems to exist in one way. There's one route to doing it, the Manchester City route, basically. And it's not really happening at Chelsea. And, and so mm. I, I, I have a, I, I'm yet really to hear a, 
a plausible explanation for why. Yeah. So I can't really answer the question. I can talk a lot about it. But, I, <laughs> I, but this is, but Joe, this is part of the problem. People yeah. don't understand that dynamic. And I think anyone that claims to is, well, wrong. I, I, I don't, why does it work this way at Chelsea? Why, on the one Seems hand... Seems nonsensical. Well, why on the one hand does Abramovich have this naked desire to be Barcelona-like? Okay, under a different guise, but that's what he wants. He wants a he wants his football team to be associated with a particular quality. But he hired Jose Mourinho twice, and he hired Conte. Yeah, it's just the whole thing is a contradiction. It's very very <laughs> strange. So I, I mean, even the way that Di Matteo won the Champions League with them in 2012, I mean, was was not that style of football. Well, I mean, it, it was I, totally. I don't think it was a style of football. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's terribly unfair, perhaps, but I, I detached. Roberto Di Matteo almost entirely from that sure. success because he his quality in that you put instance, it down to John Terry I wouldn't go that far I would say it's more of a Didier Drogba Frank Lampard <laughs> Peter Cech thing but I would say um, Roberto Di Matteo was as relevant to that as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is to Manchester United's form at the moment we mm. don't know it's mm. very very hard to tell hard to tell yeah. okay well listen let's go to some uh, questions from uh, listeners now Thank you so much. We have so many questions. I'm not going to be able to get to them all because there's about <coughs> 200. Uh, but here's a couple and of some good of them ones. are rubbish. Probably some of them are absolutely yeah. terrible. Some but, of them uh, are quite offensive. Yeah. <laughs> not not to us. <laughs> but no, it's okay, so you rough me up. I'll, I'll take some. No, no, I don't. Yeah, you don't. You don't, <laughs> don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Trust me. Uh, here's here's two questions from Manas, and I'm going to uh, let you choose which one to answer because Ooh, we haven't got time for both. Uh, the first one is that why is it uh, that uh, Chelsea and the under-18s and the, the under-21s are so successful, yet they do not receive the appropriate amount of uh, playing time at a higher level? Uh, and the other question you can choose to answer is, uh, Chelsea always seem to find themselves in a state of turmoil after a successful year. Uh, what's this about? Is it because of complacency? Which one would you like? You choose. Well, I think we, do, I think we should answer the first one because we've sort of touched quite enough on the second already through... Various other that discussion seems points. Good justification. Um, it's it's probably because, actually, in relation to what Seb's just been saying, all of which I agree with, and I, I do find the way that football clubs are run both perplexing and fascinating. Um, yeah. And that's something that we should probably do a whole podcast on at some point because mm. it's a really interesting it's subject. A new sight on that, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Tifo dysfunction. Um, yeah, well, that, that, that's just the office. Um, but uh, it, it's it's short termism. You know, yeah. if if you are going to take a risk on younger players in the fiercely competitive environment of the Premier League where finishing fourth or above is literally everything. I mean, Chelsea are never going to get relegated, so that's not something to consider. But, you know, it's it's not like uh, the Bundesliga or Liga where, you know, you can afford to blood younger players mm. where at Dortmund you make an actual thing of it. And it is worth noting that Mislintat is out of work and Chelsea could yeah. do a lot worse than to hire him. But also at Dortmund, he works with Michael Zork. Yeah who is a genius in his role uh, as a former player, which is really interesting. Um, so I think that that's probably by and large what it is. You know, Chelsea mm. Chelsea kind of almost reflexively in the same way that, you know, when I take the dog for a walk, I have to have a cigarette, acquire young players. <laughs> they can't help buying young players. Well, they also make quite a lot of money from, from that system. That's well, true, but I think they've just got so used to it. There's like a there's like a conveyor belt. It wouldn't mm. surprise me if, if it were almost the case of the Academy Scouts are out there and, and every you know, once a month a bill passes over um Granisky's desk mm. saying like it's another two and a half million for are you saying that Abramovich, yep, uh, Abramovich could sell the club and they might not even notice? <laughs> it's quite they're, they're still They're still in the youth bunker. The, the, the academy is functioning so perfectly that, sure. that it, yeah, it requires no intervention. It's like a footballing cockroach. Mm. It's, uh, it, it's Chelsea Academy thing. Like I, I think it's about to become far more interesting than it ever has done because up until this point, I know Chelsea's use of youth players has been a thing for a really long time. Mm. But in hindsight, how many of those players have actually been good enough to... To, to warrant a but first we team opportunity. Know, do we? Well, that's because we, we, they don't get the first team uh, opportunity. Uh, so we, do you mean at other clubs? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, in some cases, Alex is right. In others, I look at someone like, for instance, uh, Lewis Baker. Lewis Baker, I remember people saying, oh, this, this guy's going to be a, you know, a, a Premier League standard number 10 in the future or an eight or something. And he's like, well, no, he's not. I think that's fairly clear now. But then, 
Not to I, interrupt you, but they said that about Jose Baxter as well, and he's now shilling at Oldham. So it, that's not necessarily a I, function of not being afforded first-team opportunities. It's that players... I mean, you said it about Ross Barkley just earlier. Yeah. Like players, a lot of players just aren't as good as people think they will be. But this is my point. And that doesn't mean kind of, that... They've, they've, they've been allowed to become some of these players. They've become part of the cause. So... Fans will gravitate. Every fan is the same. This isn't a, a, a characteristic unique to Chelsea supporters. Every fan thinks that their academy has a star in it because that's part of that, that's the aspiration of being a supporter. It, that, that's just the way it is. Sure. I think what makes it interesting now is that you've got players who quite obviously are a level above what they've produced in the past. I would say um, Callum Hudson Odoi is a few levels above anything I've seen in that position for some time. Mason Mount is potentially an outstanding footballer who. Yeah. Will play for England um, probably before the end of this season. If is Hudson Odoi better than Sancho? <sighs> I mean, I, I I declare I have not watched. In both cases, enough. they you know what's interesting at, at youth level, Sancho really jumped out as a player in a way that Hudson Odoi didn't. Right. So they they they've had different stages of growth. So Hudson Odoi of the last year has accelerated as a player into something that I don't th- think many foresaw. Sancho. Even playing as a under seventeen England player, he just looked. There are imperfections in his game which have been chiselled away far quicker than most people would have, would have thought. But I don't think there'll be much between them right. in the next couple of years. Um, and so you have, and there's a there's a uh, an excellent fullback playing for someone who I forget. Did I tap the table again? You tap the table, Sam. But I, you know, the idea is when I get passionate about something, I start the first. He, he, you could see his eyes the first time I came in, Alex. He, he was just, he was, he was they're burning through me. I think, I think, you know, the, the, the trouble is, is that if these players, someone like Hudson Odoi, if Hudson Odoi is not seen to get a, a sustained opportunity at Chelsea, or worse, he's seen to become a prisoner of his own contract and then denied a move, a dream move to Bayern Munich. Mm. It creates a very difficult situation for Chelsea's recruiting staff in the future. Yeah, that's sour. Yeah. Yeah. It's very difficult because there's a, you know, I, I think, um, you know, the, the popular line is, well, these players are wising up. Yes, I'm sure they are, looking at sort of Jaden Sancho and seeing what he's being able to achieve. But their parents and representatives are too. And they're saying that actually... You know the the um, the appeal of a you know a, a three four five year contract on good money on excellent money for a teenager is a little bit of a false reality sometimes. Mm. Given what you could be able to achieve if you went to a slightly lesser academy and worked your way up the game, because the game is becoming a little bit more um, egalitarian. A little bit. It is actually. I mean, I mean, look at David Brooks. It's Tamori at Derby County, isn't it? Tamori's at Derby. That's not the one I meant, though. He's, oh. a, he's a fullback who plays for someone like. Co- it's not Dijon Sterling at Coventry. Good right. player, though, he is. It's not Jada Silva at, at Bristol City. It's somebody else. I, I was. I read. A, I was reading this on the train. So forgive me. I will. I will. I'll it's add definitely this. not Baba Rahman. It's sadly not him, no, no. Uh, it's not Michael Hector either. Um, well, listen, let me interject with a with question okay. along these lines from, from Andrew Yan. Uh, do you think that the club should get rid of Deadwood players and focus on youth? Because, I mean, let's just hypothetically say that they do incur a transfer ban, mm-hmm. even for as, as little yeah. as one, one window. We know that there are difficulties within the squad already. We know that, the, uh, as you just mentioned, there are a list of, uh, of young Chelsea players yeah. who are a cut above what they've been in previous yeah. seasons. If you were the manager, Sam? No, I, I would never become wholly reliant on academy because a, a youth player's development is full of all kinds of pitfalls. Like, you, you can look at a player at 16, and we've all done this. You, you fall in love with them, you're seduced by their technique and their ability and their, mm. you know, uh, how, how they command the game at that level. And Ravel Morrison. Ravel Morrison's a good example. Marcus Edwards, Tottenham's Marcus Edwards on loan at Excelsior is a, a, an excellent example of someone who... Um, who ran games as a 16 year old Harrison Reed <laughs> Johnny Williams Remember Johnny I do nice, Harrison nice Reed was excellent no, Harrison Reed I want to say is in the championship now uh, yeah, yeah somewhere I remember seeing him and thinking I remember I remember seeing him at the time Southampton bought Geordie Classy and thinking that's weird because, right, because yeah. you've got Harrison Reed. Exactly that. I, that, I exactly really that. rated him. So, so the, Sorry the, to interrupt. No, no, no. I just, no we, I, nice little flashback to Harrison Reed. Days. But like, I, I, I think the point is, is you can never take a... Youth development is a very uh, a low percentage uh, enterprise. So you always have to combine the two. Like even the clubs where there is, um, where there are clear pathways. Say, for instance, Tottenham. Okay, you, 
you may play an Oliver Skip, but part of playing him is actually finding out whether he's really going to be good enough. You can't know. No mm. one knows this. Like Oliver Skip looks like a, you know, a good player, and you, you can you can sit in the stands and think, wow, in two or three years, once he's developed this, and you know, he's learned a little bit about that, and he's he's played in the Bernabeu or something like that. But the, 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 this is imprecise. This is not. It's not. That doesn't come with the kind of reassurance that football clubs need in their long-term planning. It's so. exactly the same as stepping up to international level. <laughs> yeah. Because you pe- don't know. people always say, with inter- whatever the international sport is, that everything happens just that beat or two faster. Michael Ricketts. And there can be players who are excellent players at club level and they try and make that transition and for whatever reason it just doesn't work. And it's the same, yeah, exactly. it's a similar kind of step change between those levels and... The, the physicality, the pace, all of those things. That that physicality and pace are not in and of themselves a challenge. It's the lack of time you get to think about stuff under those circumstances. Yeah, with also the emo- do you have the emotional tools to deal with playing for your country? That's a big one in this country, for yeah. example. And and you know, it's the same. You know, go division by division. Can you cope with you know not being an academy star but being a single component within a Premier League team? Some players can't. Mm. Like Joe has his hand up. You're not supposed to say. <laughs> no, but I, this is Joe, Joe wants like, to move this behind the. You're lucky he didn't interrupt you because normally he just he just well, he, surges oh, in there on, and. Mate. I did that deliberately. So for those who couldn't see that, I just I I, I knocked his. Uh, his Someone down sent Alex a, a Twitter DM they did. the other day, which Alex loved because it confirms all of his conspiracies. Uh, which said that I really love your takes on the TIFO football podcast. Thank you. I wish that fat oaf would stop interrupting you. Definitely didn't call you no, fat. No, but he did say I was interrupting. Which is just to be clear, right? And this is we're set, we're settling inside uh, inside disputes here. But if I ever move you on, it's because you've been talking for too long <laughs> and it's boring. The first time I, I did an illustrated game with Joe, oh god, like my um my mother, which is a podcast that we all used to do years we all ago, used to do yeah. over a long time long ago. Time ago. Um, so my mother doesn't really know an awful lot about football, but just she listens to the stuff that I do. Yeah. And uh, she phoned me up after that one, and she's like, oh, I, I, th- I thought you dealt with him very, very well. <laughs> that dreadful oh, man. I know I, know I just spiked am, like a motherfucker there. Sorry. I am much kinder on this, uh, in this incarnation yeah. of the podcast. He used to, like, it was his own sort of fifedom. It was. a straighter game, wasn't it? It, it, was. Was, it was. I remember uh, turning up outside that, that little house in Walthamstow and smoking on the street until I was exactly on time because I'd arrived early. And Joe just thinking it was the weirdest thing he'd ever encountered. Anything polite? Yeah, I yeah, thought yeah. so. Yeah. I, just thought, I thought it was weird, and I mocked you instantly about it, yep, even it though I didn't know you. Uh, Tadej, this isn't actually a real name, so there's no point in me saying it properly. Oh God, if it is now, I'm sorry. Do you know I got a DM the other day from Sexual Predator? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, for anyone who didn't listen to last week's podcast, Sexual Predator uh, asked, a, asked a question and he did. we answered it and then discussed his name. And then I regret bringing it up and I regret you bringing it up again now. <laughs> and he's like, We really need to stop saying Sexual Predator. He signed it like Sexual Predator. <laughs> I just got so confused. Um, oh, I really want to. Never mind. Uh, Move on. Quinn is Azard a leader? No. Not for my money. Easily done. Okay. Uh, but by, by example, to, to no, a degree, right. you know he. It, and it, it's funny when we were talking about the the Hamshik role. You know, Hazard has all of those things. Yeah. He he has that incision carrying the ball. He has the desire to get on it and do stuff. And maybe the Pulisic thing will work out because you you could see Hazard playing that slightly deeper role, particularly mm. if Kante is able to absorb the defensive work. If Hazard stays beyond the summer, I mean it's hard. I, I, I mean yeah. I, I look at his age and I think, do you want to win a European Cup? Because I don't think you're going to do you're it. You're not going to do it at Chelsea. Chelsea. No. I mean I, and also he, he, he's, uh, you know, I, I'm not doing this to provoke Chelsea fans, but I think he's entitled to that move. Like he, he belongs. He's a truly world class player. He has been very loyal to Chelsea over. He's been there since I think 2012. Mm-hmm. Someone look that up for me. Yeah. Um, and you know he he is this a th- do you think do you think players are entitled to move to places because they've demonstrated a degree of loyalty they should be allowed there under certain in the sun uh, or something? under certain situations i mean i i said about hazard because i look at sort of the pieces that have been put around him at chelsea and i wonder whether they've really done enough yeah because they've been reliant on him for so long that you forget that okay so 
he's the leading light within that forward line. And how many other players, not necessarily of his exact standard, but of a similar standard have been put around him to carry the burden, to share the burden? I mean, Pedro's a good player. William's a good player. Giroud and Morata, okay, they're good players. But where has been the sort of the... Um, where is his motivation to stay there? If you can't... He's won the Premier League already. Yeah. He's won the FA Cup already. He's not probably going to win a, a Champions League there. I mean, he's, he's, he's 28, so he's probably got two more years of his prime mm. at estimate. Maybe, maybe a little bit less because he does get kicked around the pitch in England. Um, I think it's kind of... He belongs... It, it's not about whether he belongs at that club or, or another. It's at what level of the game does he belong. Yeah. And at the moment, he's playing for a club who are in the Europa League. So it, it doesn't, you know, it's the same argument as, you know, should Gareth Bale have been playing for Tottenham? No, he deserves a move to Real Madrid. It's that kind of thing. Yeah. But Hazard, Hazard could have probably left several times already now. And um, so it wouldn't surprise me. I'd like to see him stay because I, you know, I, the Premier League is stronger for players like that. Mm. And I want to be able to see them every week. That, that's great. But yeah. uh, I would understand it. That's a better way of putting it. Yeah, no, that's that's very reasonable Yvonne Okafor uh, who is a TIFO Football YouTube channel member which incidentally you can also become uh, should you wish to sign up and support uh, support our ongoings here at TIFO Football thank you uh, Yvonne Okafor it's, it's very creepy when he does that yeah, I know it was a little bit at the end wasn't it uh, Yvonne Okafor uh, makes the comment uh, that um, Sarri's criticism of his players was discussed more and criticised in itself more than Unai Emery's criticism of Arsenal players at Arsenal, would either of you like to uh, imagine why those scenarios Not might really. be different in the press? It, it's I mean, I mean, I mean no disrespect, but it's just it's just not. There's no agenda. There's no. It's not deliberate. It's just what's more newsworthy. Well, that's. Like, I don't. I don't think Ivan is suggesting. No, that no, is, I'm sure that there's a deliberate agenda. But I mean, what what are the reasons why it's more more newsworthy? Because, because it's Chelsea. Well, no, because uh, Chelsea are expected to be better than they are. Right. Arsenal are acknowledged to be in a transitional period. As some of when have Arsenal not been in a transitional? Well, this period? is the thing. This is like Arsenal. Did anyone think that Arsenal would be anything more than they are at the moment? Probably not. Whereas Chelsea started the season very well. Mm. Um, they their fans were promised um, for the, the the fans that you know weren't familiar with Napoli were prom- promised a sort of an exhilarating style of football which hasn't um, which hasn't been implanted properly. It's newsworthy. Arsenal not being very good. Arsenal losing away to Manchester <laughs> City. Uh, it just it's it's tired as a storyline. Okay, uh, we've we've danced around this already. Uh, I'm going to ask you this because uh, I actually had had it written down anyway, and it's a more specific version of something we've already discussed. So uh, do feel free to tread over old things. This is from Phil Malin. Uh, will Surrey ball work under the increased pace of the Premier League when man marking Jorginho and pressing seems to negate? The passing fluidity. I mean, the, the the specific part of this, I suppose, and it's a, it's something that's come up in the comment section quite a lot. And it's a common criticism of Jorginho is that if you mark him out of the game, the rest of the system doesn't work. We've talked about the idea that that Sarri's system requires everyone doesn't doesn't rely on one player. But in in a sense, if you knock one of those cogs out, the whole thing kind of collapses. Is that fair? And is that uh, is that the case with Jorginho? It's it's a way of of negating some of Chelsea's strength and there's, there is one thing that we didn't mention earlier when we were contrasting Bournemouth and Huddersfield and that was that Andreas Christensen played instead of Rudiger um, and is a better passer of the ball from deep um, so you know if if you're a top level team with with top level players they should be able to make an adjustment mm-hmm. if, if you close down one option that shouldn't suffocate the entire team and I think it does suggest that the rest of the team isn't quite as up to speed on how that system should work. And and so, you know, nullifying uh, one player can have that effect. But, you know, as as Kante improves in, in terms of giving Jorginho passing options out of cover shadow as someone like Christensen, who I think should have been playing a lot more than he has um, as he comes in, and gives that second option if they do bring in a centre-back like Koulibaly who can bring the ball out Mm. and disrupt that press a little bit more. The issue is not simply that you press and man-mark Jorginho, it's what are the other players doing around that in order to either mitigate the fact that your main playmaker isn't isn't able to receive the ball or to drag other players around. And, And Bournemouth, part of the reason Bournemouth could defend solidly in two banks for four 
was because Chelsea weren't moving around enough to disrupt that. Mm. So it's kind of, you know, it, it swings and roundabouts. It's not just his fault. There should be other ways of either bringing him into the game more and disrupting what the opposition are doing with their press or Chelsea having more options. And, mm. and that will change. That will improve over time. Okay. Uh, and the final question from IK Gamer. Uh, do you think Loftus-Cheek has a chance at Chelsea? No, not really. I don't think he's good enough. I, I think he's a he's a good player and he has a sort of mid-level Premier League future, but I don't think he's... I, yeah. I, would, you, I, would you not give him a run out in the left the left of midfield position just to see how he does I don't know I mean I, I'm, I'm not convinced that I, I think he's also a little bit passive yeah. I don't know I mean I, I, I'm i not really sure any of us have actually seen quite enough of him to know but he was I, very incisive at the World Cup see that yeah. that's what sticks out to me is the fact that he was quite a dynamic player You've really made a in that area that in the World side. Cup yeah, yeah. And, I, I want to think yes yeah. I just don't I don't I, I mean I I'm tempted to believe that I've kind of tricked myself into thinking he's a better player than he really is. Mm. I think he's. Um, I think he had a very good season at Palace, but he did. He also he played slightly deeper there at times. I mean, he did play as a number ten periodically, but he played in a he range of different kind positions. of played as an eleven. Yeah, occasionally, but with those um, with Zaha and Townsend ahead of him as well. Yeah, but I, I mean, in terms of being being nominally in a midfield line, mm-hmm. but kind of pushing forwards and and inside. You know that you mm. you can't be a passive player and occupy that position. Otherwise, he would have been playing as a six or an eight. You can't. I don't know whether. Look, I I think what it would take for him to succeed at Chelsea is for someone to say, right, well, you're going to get ten games guaranteed in this position, mm. and I just don't see that happening. I wish it did though, and I, and I don't. I, I'm not saying this about Chelsea generally. I just <sighs> you kind of you. I I almost wish that there was less of a financial imperative less of a short-termism that that players that look like they might be interesting were given the but, time to breathe and develop without it mattering quite so much oh yeah i i completely agree but i i think this might happen at chelsea i just don't think it will happen with him i think the next player that they will probably sort of indulge with that level is probably mount just because he's mm. worth it as a as a as a well, where I think does he fit in i think his future is as a 10 right um so so Whether that really fits into what Sarri is doing at the moment, yeah. probably not. But I think he's the kind of player. I'm not going to sort of uh, burden him with a term like generational talent, but he's, you know, he he takes. But he is, the I, he is a generation <laughs> of this era. I think he's uh, I, I, he, he's got pretty much at the moment pretty much every attribute you'd want to see in him. I'll put it that way. I, I I'd be stunned if he doesn't become a first team regular at Chelsea. Yeah. Um, and I think. I think you know the club, even clubs like Chelsea they 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 chart where their sort of their youth pieces are and who's worth giving the time to. I, I think Loftus Cheek's opportunity is probably already passed. Yeah. Um, that's not to say he isn't a good player who would who would fit in very nicely at someone like Everton, for instance. Although there are, there are well, I don't. I mean, I wouldn't is, wish Everton on any player the at the moment. Thing to say, but it's it's a you know you his range is probably between about eighth and twelfth in the league. I'd have thought um, good player, just not a special one. Okay. Uh, well, I think that wraps us up for today's podcast. So thank you to everyone for listening and for all the listeners' questions as well. I'm sorry that we only asked, asked about four of them, but uh, they were good. They were good questions, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, Alex, thank you. Thank you very much. Seb. Thank you, Joe. We'll see you again soon. Yes. Oh, incidentally, uh, you, uh, are you going to do any more uh, of your interviewee podcasts? Yeah, we've well? got a few coming up. We... Um, Unfortunately, uh, Great Western Railways um, sabotaged our Peter Drury interview. Um, mm. We will be doing that probably next week. We've they, also got they a definitely didn't sabotage. They it. did. It was, it, was, <laughs> they, it, it was personal. It was uh, five. You, five. I. You know, had I had I had I actually arrived in time to do that, I'd have just. I, I would. I would have left Peter sitting there, and we'd have just had one angry hour-long monologue. Um, <laughs> We've got a um, we we've got one scheduled with a, an American author who's written a, a range of really really good biographies um, on figures from American sport, and at some point we're going to have Nick Miller in to talk about freelancing life. Lovely. So that should be interesting. And uh, Daniel's story, we um, it's not quite up on the website yet, but obviously I've, I've read and reviewed uh, Dan's latest book, Two Hundred Fifty Days, um, Eric Cantona's Kung Fu Kick, and the impact on Manchester United mm. so we're going to we're going to chat to Dan at some point we haven't haven't scheduled that one yet but um, yeah 
Okay, subject great. to availability. Already. You will be able to find that article when it is released, and all of Seb's yeah. writing, at, well, not all of it, but quite a lot of it, lot of it. Yeah. at uh, Uh Incidentally, if you would like to, I already mentioned this, but if you'd like to become a TIFO Football YouTube channel member, that would be lovely. You can help support us by giving a little bit of your money that you worked very hard to earn. It's the ever. Giving it, it to us. <laughs> give us your money. Please give it to us. That'd be lovely. You should put a little, little kind of shaky coin yes. noise yeah, shaky yeah, yeah, coin yeah. noise in post production all I'm saying is that I would like your money and uh, and I, I would I would like to have it uh, but no you, you can support us by doing that you also get access to various cool little uh, bonuses in fact this the video version of the podcast used to be one of those and now it's on the public channel because the members, they just, they didn't want it enough. <laughs> they didn't want it enough. Well, they wanted something else. They wanted something else. Alex, what are we doing for them now? G- give us a, you do your Geldof. Okay, so um, what we're going to do is basically answer tactical questions on a weekly basis with a little video. Um, obviously on our main channel we do the big tactical teams. We do, you know, your menus and your arsenals and all that. This is the opportunity for members to get in touch and ask literally anything mm. that they want an explanation of tactically. It's much more informal as well. It's much in more informal, me in front of the Who are you doing this week? Montreal Impact. I mean, great. Under Remy Gard. <laughs> and that's because I can't, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't write down the name of the person who asked for that, but one of our members did. Yeah, and, and, uh, and they, you will get name checked when we do the video. But it's basically, if you want to know... How much time did you spend uh, researching for that? Montreal Impact? Yeah. I've watched about four and a half hours worth over the weekend. Okay, right. So there you go. If you become <laughs> a TIFO for the YouTube channel, it demands payment. It does. Right. You, know, like, it does. you get but so it, much internet for free, start paying for it. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. But but this this is the chance to, you know, if, if it's a, a player that maybe your team's going to sign possibly and you'd like to know more about them, if it's a manager, if it's... You know, through through Y Scout particularly, we have access to uh, pretty much any game anywhere. So mm-hmm. be as literally as obscure as you like. Yeah, Alex would like. I it will enjoy that. Yeah, I obscure. can't be bothered to do another Manchester United video. Yeah, but if you would like to join, but what is can... Alexis Sanchez's best position? Ugh. Walking his dogs. Oh, easy, easy does it. Uh, you can click the join button underneath any of our YouTube videos. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and we will be bit, be back next week. I think we're talking about Watford. <laughs> and I'm looking, I'm looking at you. I haven't got a fucking clue. No, okay. I don't know why you're asking me. I Are we think, just going down the table in order? I think we're talking about Watford. Cool. Let's talk about Watford. Watford interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Brilliant. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. My name is Sharzad Kiade. I'm a Gemini pescatarian, a mom of two wild little boys. I'm Susan Yara. I'm a mom of two also. This morning, I went to the bathroom alone. I woke up at five, put my boob in her mouth, and then she took a dump. Because that's what she uses me for. <laughs> that's what you're going to hear a lot of our stories and experiences in our crazy journeys to motherhood. It's fam- for all moms, not for all dads, not fathers and moms, for all moms. It's going to be a good old time. You guys are going to want to stick around. Promise. So subscribe.